The Unstuff America podcast is hosted by the most organized man in America, Andrew Mellon. Listen in for Andrew's take on America's clutter crisis. From guns to gold, he dives deep into America's self-destructive obsession with possession and how that impacts the American dream. Get real-life tools and strategies to take responsibility, set yourself free, and live your values every day. And now, Andrew Mellon. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Unstuff America. Our guest this today is Fabian Fredrickson, who is a mentor and friend of mine. She is a remarkable educator, uh, entrepreneur, thought leader, and I am delighted to have her with us today on the program. Welcome, Fabian. Oh, it's great to be here with you, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So for our listeners who don't know anything about you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for work, what your home life is like, do you live alone or with other people, so we can get a context for you and your relationship with stuff. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, um, I have a business. Uh, it's uh, boldheart.com. It is a business development uh, coaching company taking entrepreneurs from five figures to six figures, and then from six figures to seven figures. So I teach uh, professional development. And now we also have Bold Heart Self, which is about personal development, becoming really confident. Uh, I uh, have a home in uh, Stamford, Connecticut, but I now also live in Paris, France. I live in an apartment with my husband, Derek, who is uh, also CEO of, of our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have three children. Uh, we have a teenager, an almost teenager, and an eight-year-old. And we <laughs> share this apartment together. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I bet they have some stuff uh, as, well as, as well as the parents. <laughs> well, what's interesting is in moving from the U.S. to from a, a big 10,000 square foot house to an apartment and then moving again recently to another apartment uh, because we wanted to, you know, live in a different area of Paris. We've had an opportunity to unstuff, right? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, get rid of stuff. So it's been this interesting, especially because the French love to live with less. Mm -hmm. It's been a really interesting journey of this consumerism, like how much can I get to how much can I purge? Just, oh, what a, what a wonderful 180 transition to, yeah. to really be thinking about, for it to be a forward-thinking process of what can I let go of, what is in my way, which is one of the premises behind certainly Unstuff Your Life and, and my work as well is what are the physical obstacles that are standing between you and happiness, between you and accessibility so that you could be doing what you want to be doing, that we get out of the regrets and we get out of the some days and the laters and get into the nows. You know, this actually happened to me on Saturday night. Can I, can I tell a story? Yes. Okay. So um, when you live in Paris, (laughs) you have people who, uh, you know, who you don't necessarily see very often, but they'll say, oh, I'm going to be in Paris. Can I see you? And of course you say, absolutely. Let's go out to dinner. And so I'm getting ready for dinner and I see this blouse, this silk blouse in my um, closet 
And I decide this is a fantastic opportunity. We're going to this famous brasserie. I'll wear these black pants and this silk shirt. And I look at it, this shirt before I put it on. And I say, you know, it's funny. I haven't worn this shirt in about a year, year and a half. It's, I, I should wear it. So put it on, looking good, go to the uh, restaurant. And, you know, within an hour, this mushroom sauce is right <laughs> on the front of my shirt. And I don't know, ever since I was little, my father could tell you that I would just cry when I was little, when I'd get anything on me. And it happened again. I, no, I didn't cry. I didn't cry. But I thought... <laughs> you know, this is going to be a pain for me to get cleaned. And I don't really wear the shirt that often. And I don't know, it doesn't make me feel that happy. And the whole idea of being stressed out wearing the shirt. So the minute I took it off at night, I put it in this go away pile. Like there's, mm -hmm. I have a go away pile, a pair of shoes that are in there right now, two pairs of black pants, and now the shirt. And what I'm re realizing is that whereby I used to think that lots of stuff gave me options I actually it's a it's a lot of options of maybes and no's and very few yeses and I'm really clear that I want to keep getting rid of the meh and mm -hmm. keep the only the yes so uh -huh. I have this growing pile and it, it makes me happy just to see my husband Derek just did this too he's just purging 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 it's an interesting way of life that we've started yeah no it's awesome I'm gonna ring a bell for that because <laughs> it that. is because it is a it is um that idea of just having the things that you love that you can have enough of the things that really get you juiced wh whether it's clothes cooking utensils books doesn't matter what it is but that the things surround you are the things that really get you engaged as opposed to volume that there's somehow this vague sense of nesting comfort that just sheer volume is going to provide the happiness as opposed to a well-curated collection of things, whatever those are, right? I mean, four pairs of really awesome shoes as opposed to 20 pairs of whatever. I have shoes. I never wear them, but I have shoes. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's part of I, that mindset shift of what do I really want to spend my time doing? And it's probably not. If, if you asked somebody in the, in the vacuum when they were not stressed or, or otherwise distracted, what do you want to spend your time doing? I don't think a lot of people would automatically say, I want to just accumulate things, right? I mean, my life's purpose is to accumulate possessions. Most people, if, if they don't know, they might say, I don't know. And then the other people would say, oh, what I want to do is I want to go change the world. I want to go cure cancer. I want to go spend more time with my family. Few people would say, I, I want to shop. Yeah. Well, if they're going to shop, it's, it's, it's to, to drown out some feelings that they haven't dealt with. But I, may I take this, I just, while you were talking, yeah. Andrew, I, I got really clear on, on something else. Um, for a few years before moving to France, I'm, a, I'm originally French. Uh, I lived here 10 years before spending 35 years in the United States. I, I, before moving back here a year and a half ago, I read vertically. Uh, for a couple of years. And what I mean, not standing up, but I read vertically <laughs> in, in what, what is this je ne sais quoi of the Parisian woman? What is it about French women that everybody, you know, I, 
there's this something about the French woman. And one of the, the other things that's, that, that's interesting about um, living here is that French women have very small closets. Uh, there is, there actually apartments aren't really uh, made with closets. You have, you don't have walk-in closets. I happen to have one because um, this was, but it's much smaller than American standards. But um, everyone has an armoire. And in your armoire, you can really only fit about three or four pairs of pants, three sweaters, two dresses, a coat or two. And I, and, and, and I started thinking, uh, when you, what is this thing about the Parisian woman? And when you look on the street, the majority of Parisian women are incredibly stylish. They have clothes that make them look fantastic. But if you ask her, she just says, oh, I only have three or four of this and then three or four of that, but I mix and match them. And then I use accessories and scarves and jewelries and, you know, jewelry and belts to use what I have and make the most of it. But the key is they don't buy disposable clothing the way we, or I will say I used to mm. do a lot more of, you know, I'd go and, and just buy this, uh, that mentality of let me just buy a lot of stuff and then I'll just dispose of it a year later. Right. It's more about using your money more wisely and investing in, uh, well, I don't want to say the word, but an investment piece, right. a really gorgeous cashmere sweater that you'll wear for the next 10 years because it's a classic you know, thing and you, you invest in, let's say your Hermes scarf or another beautiful scarf that you know you'll have for your, your lifetime. The cut is perfect. It flatters you. Shoes that you will use again for the next five years or more and just, and just beautiful fit, incredibly stylish without the overthinking of what am I going to wear so much. It's more of a mix and matching and taking really good care of the stuff you have washing it well and often. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't know, what are your thoughts about that? I think that, uh, a well structured wardrobe at any price point, right? It doesn't matter whether you're shopping at target or you're shopping at Neiman's. Absolutely. It really doesn't matter. The idea is that if we have these, we have these, uh, I, I don't even want to call them cultural norms, but this idea of, I want to present myself well, again, at any price point, it, it, regardless of, uh, of socioeconomic class. I want to look good. I want to participate in the world in a way that, that brings my self-esteem forward and that allows people to see me in the best light. And I want that to be something that is cared for and crafted as opposed to I'm just grabbing stuff and running out literally out the door or figuratively out the door that there's that sense of it's it's curious i think that there is a sense of community connection or this idea of i want to participate and i want to participate in a way that is uh empowering to me and also that shows a certain amount of care i think you know it's interesting uh the Devil Wears Prada is a is a an, an imperfect film, and yet that one scene with Meryl Streep, uh, you know, playing Anna Wintour uh, when she's talking to the young uh, um, 
uh, oh, what's her name, uh, Anne Hathaway, about, you know, you think in that lumpy sweater that this has nothing to do with you, and yet takes her through the whole process of where those colors and where the, where the choices came from. And while fashion is in some ways um, something that belongs at that level when we think of couture belongs to a certain uh, you have to have a, you have to have a certain price point for that but the idea of the trickle down and the the artistry and the creativity and the um the expansiveness that happens that when we when we view fashion in, in only one lens of it's an elitist activity but then also thinking about fine you know fine art and in some ways, those designers, uh, those visionary, creative people, it, it might be that it's garments that they're working in. It's not a canvas like Picasso or, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to make it only about uh, necessarily dead white men, but that idea <laughs> of, you know, I mean, because art, again, spans everything, right? But, but that that degree of excellence and thoughtfulness and expansiveness in the creative process is something that happens in fashion and that you're talking about is reflected on the back of the average French woman. It, she doesn't necessarily have to be shopping at Chanel. It doesn't matter she, where she's And she right. doesn't. If, and you she know. doesn't. There's a lot of shopping at Zara, a lot of shopping at Mango, but what she will do is she will get the right fabric and then get it to fit her body and will take care of it in a way that will last for a couple of years as opposed to the mentality of what I totally got sick, sucked into uh, for many years is just to just keep buying, keep buying and, and you got to look different every single day and don't wear the same thing again for another six months. I'm exaggerating. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but just this idea of I, I feel comfortable with who I am. I'm going to, I think it's a matter of self-love actually, Andrew. Mm -hmm. I think it's loving yourself enough or having enough honor and respect for yourself to wear only the things that look really good on you. And, and this is one of actually one of the things that I teach and, and I, you might be familiar with this in the, in the leverage your, or your marketing um, class that I teach my bold heart business members. I teach that uh, the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule is very much alive in business. So I'm typically teaching them that 100% of your marketing activities, 20% of the marketing activities that you do gain you 80% of your results. So why are we doing you know, all of these things? Right. Same thing as you look into your closet or you look into your cupboard, and I'll talk about my spices <laughs> in Excellent. a minute. Um, I look into my cupboard, I'm like, you know what? I wear 20% of the things that are in my closet 80% of the time. Yes. And when I travel, I almost exclusively travel with a carry-on, you know, a rollerboard, a right. little one. Yep. And I, I find that I always bring the same 20% of things. Yes. And really starting to think, well, then do I really need the 80%? And little by little, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little by little, I'm getting, you know, rid of them. When I moved from the U.S., to France, I had a much bigger kitchen and dozens and dozens and dozens of spices because I love to cook. It's one of the reasons why I moved to France. I realized I used, you know, 20% of the spices 80% of the time. And when I moved here, I consciously 
only purchase those 20%, really like six or eight herbs and spices. And I, I never bought the rest because in the end, I never use them often enough to make sense for, for it to make sense to take up this huge drawer that I had before. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Just the thought about spices. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it is that 80, 20 rule plays itself out in lots of different places and it is, it's, you found it organically, but it is, it's among us professional organizers. It's known that we wear 20% of our wardrobe, 80%. Okay. Of time. It just is, it's another place where that Pareto principle follow, uh, flows out. So, so tell us um, what inspires you? What are you really passionate about? I am really passionate about the fact that, uh, and this is what I, I, I share with my clients, there's a song within each person that only they can sing. And you can call it life's purpose or you can call it calling. Um, and I believe that that song needs to be heard far and wide. And so whether it's working with uh, a business owner to to take that song, um, let's say your mission, right? Uh, to unstuff America, to unstuff the world. That is a song that only you can sing in the way that you can sing it. And my job is to to turn up the volume on that. Conversely, my belief about um, on a personal level, every single human being, whether they have a business or not, has something that makes them special and worthy. And because of the way they've grown up um, and the way society is, they try to, you know, hide that song and they don't take enough space in the world. They apologize for being in the world. And I, I am here to, to, let's say, flip the switch and activate their greatness, whether in business or in life, and have them see how worthy that song is and how it must be sung far and wide. I know that's very ethereal, but it really, it's me helping people play a bigger game, whatever that means. Yeah, that's excellent. And I, it doesn't sound that ethereal at all. I, I think certainly the ideas behind Unstuff America are about activating folks and getting them more involved in the political process here in the U.S. that specifically that if um, if the reason they're not participating is because they are overwhelmed by the volume of things that they have to manage on a daily basis, again, stepping aside from uh, socioeconomics, and certainly there's a piece of Unstuff America that is about trying to get the skills and resources into people's hands who have less access to resources. But for everybody who the resources themselves are not the issue, it's the time management, it's the focus, so that they, I don't want anybody to be unhappy with the results of their local or their national elections and thinking, shit, if I would have known this was going to happen, I would have made a different choice. Let's let's clear the path so that that doesn't happen again to you. So that if you want to know who's on your school board, if you want to know who's on your town uh, town council, if you want to know who's in your state legislature, if you want to know who's running your country, that you have that you have clarity and accessibility to the time to participate in civics. That it's not just oh, I'm just going to put my head down and w whatever way the dice fall, I'll just deal with it because there are huge consequences at play here. I mean, there's, you know, the specifics of food, clothing, shelter, 
all of air, water, all of those things on a, on a human survival level. And then there's the, all the quality of life about what are your kids allowed to study at school? You know, what is available at your public library? Wh what kind of health access to health care do you have available to you and if you have a stake in that and certainly i i think few people don't have a stake in it so if you do have a stake in it how do we make sure that you have the ability to participate in that as a full invested citizen as opposed to oh you know well i i I, I'm too busy. Like, what does that mean for that even to come out of your mouth? I, I'm too busy to participate in my community. I think that's a load of crap. And yeah. certainly, I mean, if you are a if you're a single parent working three jobs to feed your kids, you are too busy. So, what can we do to alleviate that pressure? But if that isn't, if those aren't your circumstances, if you aren't working three jobs to support your children, if you if you are if you are able to survive at, at your earning level, then what is it about the choices you're making around how you're spending your time that aren't in alignment with your values so that you get to the place where you're like, oh, this is not, I, I, I'm not happy here, right? So let's take you back four or five or 20 steps to that, to that crucial pivot point so you can walk in a different direction and not end up someplace full of regret. Well, I think I, I, I'm really very much in agreement with uh, what the heart of what you're saying, which is essentially what we've been saying the last few minutes in here. It's about essentialism. And if we're looking at the spices, what are the essential spices, right? And I know that the spices and clothing and, and all of that is vain, right? Um, but what are the essentials of what's in your closet? Uh, you know, what is the essentials of your time? And when I'm speaking to a business owner about why don't you have time to get to the marketing that you need to do? Why, don't, why, why do you say you, you don't have time to work with more clients and that you're overwhelmed? The overwhelm does not, it's not an issue of time management. It never is. It's an issue of prioritization. Exactly. And when you, when you have a, a, a never-ending list of things to do, uh, it's not that you must get all of them done, it's that you must figure out which ones are essential and then and then uh, get rid of the rest. Yeah. Uh, the essentialism is about setting boundaries with people who hijack your time, with saying yes to projects that you don't want to do, you're not good at doing, you, you don't have time to do. Uh, essentially, it's, it's, it's enough of the people-pleasing. Uh, I believe very strongly, this is an issue of self-worth again, right? Yeah. The issue of self-worth is to really value yourself enough to say, no, I'm going to put my needs first before letting you hijack my time. So it's, 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 a, it's a radical way of, of going out from overwhelm by saying no. Um, to people by saying if somebody asks you to do something it's them projecting their needs onto you it's you don't have to say yes not because they ask nicely not because you, you'll be a good good girl if you do and a bad girl if you don't and same thing with good boy and bad boy right, right? right. and it's it's being bold-hearted enough to say thank you for thinking of me but I choose not to accept that 
thank you for allowing me on your board for the last nine years, but it is now time for me to step down without giving an excuse, but just, just really valuing yourself enough to say, you know what, I'm going to let go of 80% of the activities in my life that are not on a 10 on the scale of one to 10. Right. right. If you were to rate anything in your life, 10 is a hell yes. And one is a hell no. Yep. Look at everything that takes up your time in your day and say, what is that on the scale of one to 10? And if it's a seven or below, get rid of it. Yep. Keep yeah. the eight, nines and tens. And that's the essentialism that allows you to live free. I'll speak for myself. That allows me to live freely without as many obligations as perhaps some other people, even though I have a very successful business and hundreds and hundreds of clients and thousands of customers. It's that essentialism that allows me to not work on evenings and weekends. Yeah. No, I tell people I, I just was teaching, as I told you. Um, uh, and when we talk about time management and people, it, it, people love to-do lists. And... Um, I'm just mindful. I want. I want to. I want to get back to what really upsets you and pisses you off. But, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I want to just make this point that, uh, you know, people love to make their to-do lists, and I tell them, make your to-do list. Understand, it's not a time management tool. It's just a way to get stuff off your brain, so you're not on that gerbil wheel constantly spinning around trying to remember stuff. So j jot it down. But understand, anything that's below a three on your list. The fours and the fives, you're never going to get to. You can just strike them off your list. You can delegate them away or you can just remove them because there will always be new ones, twos, and threes. So anything that isn't that important to you, which is, again, your eight, nines, and tens, right? Anything that isn't that important to you, it, you're never going to get to it. So all you're doing is making yourself unhappy, dragging it around, shaming yourself, beating up on yourself. You're not going to do it. You don't have the time to it. It's not a priority, but you just keep dragging it around as if it makes you a better person, but it just makes you an unhappy person. And it actually impedes your ability to do the ones, twos, and threes, or the eights, nines, and tens, depending on you know which direction you're doing the yeah. numbers. But it, those, those top three things, again, the 20%, those things are the things that are going to get your attention. And I want you to be able to do those all in, not thinking about the fours and the fives while you're trying to do a one, right? We want you to really be able to dig into the one. So tell us, but, so that's great. I mean, we know, what, we know what you're passionate about now. So tell us what, what does get your go? What really upsets you when you think about, you know, when you get like, oh, this makes me crazy. Why does this happen? Either in your own life, in the world at large, I mean, both. Yeah, I think, uh, not, I don't think, I know very clearly um, that it's about when I see people settle mm. uh, for something uh, less than absolutely everything. So again, it's that scale of one to 10 thing. Again, it's tied in with self-worth and maybe they, they've settled for a particular life. Uh, they've settled for a relationship. Um, they've settled, you know, my business owners, they've settled for an income level. Um, and maybe that's even just someone in the regular world, uh, less than absolutely everything. So the way that I look at life, Andrew, is that everyone is absolutely magnificent. What I see is that people don't embrace their magnificence. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they get in their own way. 
uh, and in fact, I wrote a book, uh, as, as you know, called Embrace Your Magnificence. Get out of your own way and live a richer, fuller, more abundant life. And the crux of it, it's, it's, it's basically a, a course in self-esteem and a course in, in, in self-worth. And this whole idea of settling is, is the idea that people feel that they should do something. Well, you've probably heard the, the saying, stop shooting all over yourself, right? But this idea of, wait, wait, if I, if I saw myself as truly magnificent, I wouldn't put up with this relationship. I wouldn't put up with the job that I have that is toxic. I wouldn't put up with the way my sister or my mother treats me or, or these whiny friends or the bad clients that, that don't uh, pay me on time or show up. And so this idea of settling for mediocrity drives me crazy. It doesn't drive me crazy as much as it spurs me into action. Mm -hmm. This is that whole bold heart thing, right? I invite people to be bold enough to look at what makes their heart sing and then go after it. So if it's somebody who's, you know, again, in that toxic relationship, well, there's no reason you should toxic relationship. Why are you settling for Uh, anything absolutely less than everything. Why is it that you're in this toxic job? There's no reason you should be in there. You are worthy enough. You deserve the highest level of everything um, that is available in the universe. And, And my job is to, on this planet, and I know it is my calling, and I know I do it through through business coaching and then personal coaching. But my job is to have people just like awaken people like Vanna does now, you know, she used to turn the letters. Now she just goes like this with with the letters to, to awaken people to their own magnificence and then take action in, in that direction. Excellent. I'm going to ring a bell for that as well. (laughs) I got two bells. You did. You did. (laughs) And again, when we think about, when we think about, uh, unstuffing America and that idea of being your magnificent self, right? So that you are shaping your community. You are empowered to what kind of a school system do you want for your kids? What do you want them learning? How do you want to, you've got these little people in your charge and making them good and full, complete, thoughtful, caring, considerate, engaged citizens is your job. You're the steward of them, just like you're the steward of the printer that's in your closet, even though that's an inanimate object. That doesn't get dumped into the garbage to be not properly recycled when it's over. And these little people that we're raising then need to be able to go out into the world and carry their own and participate fully. And so when we're building the world for them, right? I mean, because once you have kids, it's no longer about you. It's about you, but it's also about them and making, making sure that there's accessibility for them. So where are you putting a bucket over your own head and, and dimming your light? And it, you're, on, the mac, on the micro level, you are not setting a great example for them because you're showing them that, oh, no, life is full of, of crappy compromises that you make without even thinking about them. So you're, you're modeling not great behavior to them. And at the same time, there's the macro impact of every time you do that, every time you dim your light, every time you settle, 
then you're creating a world that is diminished for them. So it, 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 it's a lose-lose on the micro and the macro level where, you know, you're, you're not teaching them the best skills and the consequences of your choices and your behavior is diminishing the world that they could possibly inherit. I mean, it's, it's always amazing to me. And, uh, you know, I don't want to rant much, but we are capable of such amazing creativity and expansiveness. I mean, we are also capable of tremendous meanness and selfishness and greed. It's, it's an unfortunate part of human nature, but they are both there. And it seems it upsets me when I see us uh, deferring to the meanness in the world as opposed to rising to our, our, our best selves consistently that uh that that expansiveness would would bump into meanness or ugliness and capitulate and say oh okay i guess you're gonna win this round it it should never have to be that we have to defer to uh to that that kind of selfishness or or thoughtlessness or carelessness or meanness uh I, I we see we see what human beings are capable of manifesting in the best sense of the word word and I really I want to see that I want to see more of that happening and I think that the world would look differently I mean we wouldn't having we wouldn't have debates about the quality of the water that we're drinking I mean why would we ever need to discuss that why would why why would there ever be a world in which clean air wasn't the norm like air that you would need to wear a filter over your face to breathe or air that everybody could breathe and that grows happy plants that we could eat. Like, why is there a debate about that? If, if this choice is going to create a toxic environment, it's not a sustainable choice. So why is it, why does he, why is it even given equal consideration when it's clearly poison? It just, it makes no sense to me. Well, I think that there's a there's often a um, a difference between people um, voting or making decisions with their heart and uh, maybe with their fears or their wallets. Right. I'm not saying uh, if you're asking why do, what why does this happen this whole water education thing I I, I think you know without diving too deep into it, it's, it's, do you put people before profits? Right. And, or which are you, are you putting profits before people? Right. Um, and it's just an interesting way of looking at it. I notice here living in France and you know, granted it's a socialist country and a lot of that scares a lot of people. I think there's a high quality of life here simply because um, there's a lot of focus on the people and their happiness and their safety. It's just interesting. It's yeah, it is interesting to look at. Yep. So on a scale from one to ten, one being the least organized, ten being completely organized, how organized would you say you are? Oh gosh, I would say probably um, seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Can you find your keys in the morning? Can you find your your totally. mobile phone, your wallet, all of that yes. stuff? Yes. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, maybe if, if you ask like that, yeah, because I've, I've really stripped down a lot too. Right. Just, uh, yeah, everything, not everything. Well, yeah, there's a lot in its place. 
There right. is a lot in its place. <laughs> Excellent. Have you always been organized or do, do you find that you've developed these habits? No, I, I'm a rebel at heart. Uh, I don't like to be told what to do, uh, where to do it, when to do it. I am, I'm a classic entrepreneur. I will break all the rules unless it's a rule that I set up for myself or a rule that I respect. Um, so for many years, and I talk about this in, in my book, I uh, wouldn't open my my mail. I would, I lived in midtown Manhattan at the time and I would just put them in these shopping bags, you know, the brown shopping bag surrounded yeah. by the plastic shopping bag. They would go under my futon. When I would entertain, I would move all my bags into the shower um, just because I'd hide it, hide it from people. Um, I, I'll tell you, no, I wasn't organized because I was such a rebel, but I'll tell you what, the, there's a, a, a concept that now I teach every single one of my clients, whether it's business or personal growth client, and it's the concept of personal responsibility. And it's, I, I really looked at all the major things that just always seemed to hit the fan in my life. Mm. Uh, I was in abusive relationships. So that's, that was interesting. That didn't go well for me. And I was, I had financial troubles. Um, that, that wasn't going well for me. And, and, you know, all these areas in my life, uh, and it was always the area of my life that I wasn't taking personal responsibility for. And if you Google an article, um, probably called Personal Responsibility by Brian Tracy, mm. um, that article changed my life. In fact, I include it in my programs now. And I talk about personal responsibility all the time. In fact, I'm going to tell you the story. Um, a few years ago when my oldest, who is now 14, was probably nine um, was playing in the playroom with her brother, who was probably seven at the time. And, uh, and I was just walking by the playroom and she said, Luke, this is Claire talking, Luke, clean up your toys. I don't feel like it, Claire. Luke, this is an issue of personal responsibility. <laughs> oh my God. Clearly I've been hammering this message, right. but any area of one's life, so I'll speak about my, myself, any yeah. area of my life that either hasn't gone well in the past or doesn't go well is simply one in which I haven't taken personal responsibility. And personal responsibility is putting your focus there and making a commitment to doing things differently. When you live your life with personal responsibility, you cannot blame anybody else. You cannot whine. You cannot rant. Uh, and th there's a saying in my family that, uh, started by me, <laughs> you, you cannot complain about anything you're unwilling to change. Ouch. Yep. You cannot complain about anything you're unwilling to change. And so, yeah, if I, there, there were times when I was completely unorganized and my relationships and finances and health and all that wasn't going well, I wasn't taking personal responsibility. So now that I'm in my 40s, I have taken responsibility and it's, it's putting on my big girl pants. It's, it's saying, you know what, it's the way that I have my life, positive or negative, is a result of the actions, the commitments and the, the decisions, the commitments and the actions I take on a daily basis. And if I want things to be different, I've got to start doing things differently. That's it. Excellent. Commitments, decisions and actions. Yeah. Love that. All right. So um, tell me, uh, if you could change one thing about the world today, what would that be? Oh, it's going to go back to self-worth. 
I, I really believe that the people who, forgive me, but I will tell you what my real truth is. Please. I, I, once, uh, I once heard the Dalai Lama say, the, the, the world will be changed by the Western woman. And I thought, well, that's great, but the Western woman doesn't have as much um, self-esteem and self-worth and self-value. She doesn't believe in herself as much as she could. Um, and so I really, what was your question? Because if you could change one thing about the world today. Yeah, right? it would be that, that, that uh, women and men embrace their magnificence. They begin to love, honor, and value themselves again. They begin to become more confident um, and not confident from an arrogance place, but confident they love themselves enough that they're going to be the fullest expression of who they really are on this planet. And when you allow yourself to go after your calling, uh, figure out what your calling and your life's purpose is, and then to align your life and your work with it, um, and to, and to just really just, um, to, to, yeah, be that highest expression uh, I believe the world will be healed. I, I truly believe it without question. Anytime somebody um, lets go of ego and, and really aligns with, with what they're really here to do on this planet, it will change the world. Excellent. All right. What, what does Unstuff America mean to you when, when you think about that expression? What, is, what comes to your mind? I, I think it's this idea of doing the essentialism, you know, having, having, uh, again, it it's comes back to the same message of self-worth, okay? Because this is the, the filter through which I look at life. Mm -hmm. If you are no longer have shoulds and you only look at what is essential and makes you essentially happy and it feels good to you and you let everything else away, fall away, uh, you are unstuffing your life of people, things, uh, shoulds that do not belong in your life. You love yourself enough to just unstuff and you become this radiant being. Uh, and I, I think if, if, if everybody uh, unstuffs, we have a, a nation of people who are really on purpose, for purpose, with a purpose, doing epic stuff. Uh, I think you have a happier America. Excellent. Great. Well, and we, uh, as we wrap up, any last thoughts that you want to share with uh, fellow unstuffers? Uh, really, it's about looking at um, what 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 makes you happy. It re it really doesn't have to take a lot of effort. It's it's saying, okay, what is it that makes me happy in life? And what is it that doesn't? Whether it's a pair of jeans that doesn't fit you, a spice that's that that you never use, or uh, a relationship, uh, or a client, or or something in your life that doesn't make you happy, to to value yourself enough to not have to keep holding on to it. You are you you deserve the highest level. Uh, highest quality of everything in your life. Why are you holding on to the, the, the less than? Why are you holding on to the mediocre? Activate your greatness. Activate your greatness. Excellent. Embrace your magnificence. Embrace your magnificence. So really it's, again, in that sense of essentialism and stripping away the things that just are not serving you, that you do not need to drag them around with you like old old dirty shoes you, you deserve more than that you deserve the highest level of everything in your life because your creator wants that for you the universe wants that for you whatever you call that right only the best for you best in class
<laughs> Excellent. Well, that I think is a great way to wrap up this conversation. It's been so nice talking with you about this and getting your wisdom on uh, everything from spices to shopping to <laughs> being magnificent in the world. So it's really, I mean, we've covered, we've covered it from the micro to the Just macro. about it all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If folks want to find out more about you and uh, where can they, where can they find you online and where can they get more information on your magnificent work in the world. Well, thank you. Well, there's bold and you can find me on Facebook at Fabienne and there's embrace your magnificence. The book is on Amazon. It's everywhere that books are sold. And it's boldheart.com. I think the, 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 the video skipped a little bit there. So I think it's boldheart.com. And uh, thank you so much, Fabienne, for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. I enjoyed myself. Thanks for listening to Unstuff America. If you like the podcast, the best compliment you can give us is to share it with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes.